Well, good morning, and I uh, want to welcome you all and say uh, it is, when it is uh, it's simply cold weather, I think, as far as getting out of bed, that the colder it gets, the, uh, the more I like to actually stay inside the bed and not get out. And uh, my daughter, who uh, she'll kill me if she ever hears the podcast, but she still wets the bed from time to time. And so when it happens on, uh, it's like this cold because our heater hasn't been inspected yet for the year. It's coming up tomorrow. So in our house, it gets to about 59 degrees by the, uh, by the morning. We need to get insulation. I know that. There's a thing called insulation. But she is freezing cold, and so she gets us up bright and early, and it's, it's not a good thing. Well, we're getting ready to look at the father wound. And, and for the new dad, for Sean back there, um, my son inflicted the son wound upon daddy last night. So I, I came in from work. It was late. Wednesday night, we have Midlink here, great dinner, and there are different studies for people. And so I get home, and he's having his book read, but Mom said he could stay up 15 minutes later and play with Daddy. So we're wrestling around, and he says, you know, tickle me, Daddy. So I start tickling him, and I'm sort of like hunched up over him like this, tickling him, and he starts kicking his feet like that and, and just absolutely wondered what had happened to Daddy and why Daddy quit tickling him, turned red, and rolled over and stopped talking for about 10 minutes. And I, and I told him, I was like, Luke, you gave Daddy the sun wound. And so uh, we're talking about the father wound, not the son wound today. I, I want to give you all permission. Some of you have had great dads. In fact, a, a man in here is like, hey, my dad was absolutely great. And, and for, for you, if you've had a great dad, I'm like, praise God for that. No doubt about it. And there are great dads out there. What I want you to take from today is, one, have you been a great dad, or are you prepared to be a great dad? And then two, maybe God has blessed you with a great dad so that you could be a mentor to other men that maybe didn't have that experience, that you could, in a sense, you could help speak truth into their life, because there are lots of men that I have contact with each week that are looking for a mentor and looking for someone to actually invest in their lives. And I'll just say that the number of men that are wanting to invest in the lives of, of men, they're, they're less than the men that are wanting to have their life invested in. Does that make sense? And then number two, if, if your dad was a deadbeat dad, a, a dad that was just totally vacated his God-given role in your life, today we're going to get some real proactive uh, strategies of what you can do. I want to encourage you, it's okay to feel, uh, to feel sadness, to feel anger, to feel whatever you are feeling in that. Don't stop in there and sit in there and live out of that. Remember, we are a product of the past, but we are not prisoners to the past. And I think it's okay for us to look back, and remember, that's the goal. We're, we're looking back, but we're looking back for the purpose of looking forward and living out of who God says we are and lo- living out of that. Does that make sense? So today, I want us to, uh, to get started with uh, the, the positive side of facing the father wound and, and that is my, my son, that's Luke, who can inflict the sun wound, uh, and he's, he's a little bit bigger now, that was a year ago, and up there, you know, for me, my life changed tremendously seven years ago when I had my daughter, but it really changed a ton more when I had my son, he's five now, well, he'll be five in December, and in my heart, I have high expectations and, and, and a great desire for him, and and so as we go through this, I just want you to, to know it's going to be rare that a dad doesn't have that sense inside. And maybe he didn't fulfill that, I really want my son to be blessed. I really want my son to have a great life. I want his life to be better than mine. 
Maybe he, he got off the path somewhere, but I guarantee you, I don't know of any dads that when their son is born, they hold that son, that their heart is not for that child. And so I just want to speak that to you. I'll speak that over you. Whatever your background, whatever your dad, his probably initial desire when he saw you and held you was, I am for you. Okay, so with, with that, I want us to, to look from the vantage point of me as a son. I do have a dad. How do I handle it if my dad wasn't Christ-like, if my dad wasn't all that he needed to be? How do I handle that in a constructive, positive, God-honoring way? And then as a dad, how can I prohibit putting that same wound into my son's life? And so those are the two hats I want us to, to put on today. Where we are in the whole story here, we're in the process of seeking to make sense of why we are the way we are. why we are the way we are. If y'all remember when Jason came up here, he brought a big suitcase, and inside that suitcase were other suitcases, and he had inside of those different things from, you know, from rope and binoculars and, and different things, and all those things represented different wounds that we might have from our past. That doesn't mean that every one of us has every wound, but that we have, in a very real sense, there is a power in the past, in our life. And it's, it's not until we reflect back on that, we look back on that, we identify it. And I, I've met with different men, and, and they struggle in different areas. And my question to them is always, what does that do for you? Whatever that is. Whatever that repetitive sin behavior is, what does it give you? What is it giving you, and what need is it trying to meet? And there is usually a link there between the past and trying to earn somebody's approval for something, or trying to show I'm a real man, and they live out of that. And it might be they, they womanize, it might be they're workaholics, it might be they're, they're addicted, whether it's to, to drugs or to pornography or to, to you name it. You could be an adrenaline junkie. And I'm like, it's not that those things are evil in and of themselves. You know, skydiving's not evil. But if we do that perpetually to avoid dealing with life, at that point, it becomes sin for us. So we enjoy life, we enjoy those things, but we have to keep that all in, all in balance. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living, and that's what men's life, the first half of men's life, is really about examine your life, take responsibility for your life, and then the second half is about how do you live out of that in a biblical way, in a way of, of, of walking up. Okay, where we are, each of us, let's hit this, we have a story to tell. And that's the point of the table. We could, we could buy a video for everybody, let you watch Robert Lewis teach, and you could sit in the comfort of your own home or at your office, and then you could you know, go to bed. That's great. You could have that one experience. We have a story to tell, and in telling our story, we discover and, and learn it a whole lot better. Uh, for me, I had to write my life story out, which really seemed weird when I was about 22 or 23 years old. I was in grad school. And I had to break my life down from zero to five, from six to seven, or no, six to nine, and ten to thirteen, and thirteen to sixteen, and sixteen to twenty. And I was like riding through the significant events, my, my fondest memories, the most painful memories, uh, what what I remember of my family. And this wasn't for a counseling class. This was this was something I had. To, it was a project. And I just remember when I started it, I thought, well, this won't take long. It won't take long. So I just sort of dive in. I, I start doing it, and I, I was living with another guy, and we had a one-bedroom house, so there's no hiding in this place. It was basically a little postage stamp 
house that was right by a railroad track in Fort Worth, and you know, when the wind blew, you could feel it blow through. There was a, a totally cheaply put together home, but it was affordable, and grad school was great. But I just remember about 30 minutes into that, or 40 minutes into that, I just started getting sad, and I, I can't explain it at all. And about an hour or two into that, I can't see. I got tears are flowing down. I got snot coming out of my nose. It's down to the floor. I'm not lying. It was ridiculous. I'm sitting there, and I'm grieving, and I can't tell you why, because I had a good family. I have a good family. I love my parents. They love me. But there was just a sadness that came over me as I was doing that. And as you would expect, in a one-bedroom home, my roommate comes in, and I'm there. He's like, good grief, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. You know and I'm, and I'm, I'm telling my story to a professor, ultimately, is who it's going to be. But God used that to show me there was some unfinished business for me. And for me, we're not going to talk about a sibling wound or a brother wound or a sister wound, but for me, my unfinished business, I thought, was primarily with my brother. And, and I'll share a little bit about him in some weeks to come. Uh, but as I went through this last year, I realized that I also had some unfinished business with my dad in a couple of areas that he allowed my brother to sort of run the home in. And, and I found there were some issues there for me. So we have a story to tell. I want to encourage you all to be as transparent as you can be at your table. We are to some degree a product of the past. As we said, we're not, we're not prisoners of the past. And I would just write that out beside it. We are products but not prisoners. In Christ, we are set free. But if we don't learn from history, the saying goes, we're bound to repeat it. And I'm like, I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the best minister I can be. I want to be the best friend that I can be. And the only way that I can do that is to look from the past, discover who I am, where I've been, and then to look to Christ and say, Christ, you show me. You show me who you want me to be, and you set me free to be that, to be that person. And the third way is we're in some ways controlled by the past until we consciously and willfully choose to break that control until we consciously and willfully choose to break that control. And now where we are as far as uh, in this, this process of the unpacking, we're in the process of seeking to make sense of, of well, great, that's great. Here we go. Let me, uh, there we go. Yeah, one, one back here. The second part, we, we were examining why we are the way we are, and then secondly, we're exploring the first of the five major wounds that shape us, and we've called that the father wound. And I want to remind you of the definition of that, of this that shapes us, and it is an ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad that must now be overcome by other means. And notice that spiritual is in there, some of us had great dads that provided for us and they were present in our lives and maybe they spiritually weren't the leader of that home. Well, that becomes a, a father one. It's not an evil, intentional thing, but that can be just as much of a thing that holds us back as a dad that didn't provide for us at all that we were like, I didn't know what dad was doing. He was an alcoholic. He was never around. So there, there's different facets of this. There is an epidemic level of this that's going on. We said over 40% of the homes are fatherless. That means literally physically fatherless. 
That doesn't count the percentage of homes where the dads are because of workaholism, alcoholism, or anything else. Those dads have sort of stepped away from that. I would say if we really looked at it, and I met with a teacher on, a, I think it was Tuesday night. We met at Starbucks out underneath the Bally Fitness thing out west on I-10. And I thought we'd meet for about an hour. We closed down the Starbucks out there. And he's a school teacher. And he was sitting there, and he's in a pretty rough school district. He's in Teach for America, which is sort of a two-year commitment where they take really bright you know, business majors and, and science majors, they bring them into, into high schools, and they, they teach because there's a, a lack of teachers. And they work with these guys. Well, he's there. He signed a two-year contract. He's nine weeks into it. And he's like, I, I'm not even getting to teach. He says, I feel like I'm having to parent all these kids. And he starts sharing with me some of the stuff going on. And I'm like, I would say it's 90% in the low-income area where he is. The fathers are absent. They're gone. I mean, it is, it is, he's talking to me and telling me this. There is a massive crisis, and it is up to men. God wants to use us to step up to mentor Houston Project, stuff like that, that we would actually invest our lives in some of these kids without dads. And it might be that we, uh, we do the big brother, big sister type of program thing. It could be we go to the Y and we begin to coach. You know, if you're single, man, there are, there are people that need you. If you're not a dad, there are little boys, little girls that need a dad right now. And I, I just have heard it from teachers just recently that blew me away. It's changed from when I was in school where a few people didn't have a dad. It is epidemic right now. Well, let's, uh, let's look at a verse here. In Malachi, it's the last verse of the Old Testament. And it was before the 400 years of silence. And Malachi is giving a prediction, a prophecy about a great renewal that's going to come to Israel. And when I think about a revival coming, I always think about, well, people are going to be praying more. People are going to be giving more. People are going to be in the house of the Lord more. There'll be peace across the world. There'll, you know, what would it be? What would be the sign that this revival had come to the people of God. And here is what Malachi says, And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I, God, come and smite the land with a curse. That he says that the sign, the ultimate sign that he gave, that revival would come, and if it didn't come this way, judgment would come, was that fathers would become fathers again, and that children would be bound up with their fathers. Now this is 400 years before Christ. Now John the Baptist is the one that is, is predicted here to bring part of this restoration, and Christ would ultimately fulfill that. We need to understand in God's economy, as God looks at the family and society, the number one thing He looks at, I believe, is the relationships of fathers and their kids. That's the number one thing he's looking at across a society to see if a society is healthy and biblical and godly is how are the dads doing with their kids. Are we deadbeats or are we dedicated to Christ and out of that loving and serving and guiding and protecting? I want to I show a movie clip right now. It's from a movie that uh, if it's a comedy, yes, but uh, there's some good stuff in it on family dynamics, and we're going to see Charlie, who is the son here, is actually going home uh, to see his dad and his mom and his little brother. 
and he's got one of his friends already there in the house. They're going to watch some football together. And uh, Charlie's dad is sort of uh, not the nurturing, encouraging dad. So there's probably a father wound for, uh, for Charlie. His mom is he's definitely over-bonded with his mom. We're going to look at that. It's a second wound. And if you watch the whole movie, you see that this boy brings all five wounds around the whole time. Hopefully it's a little enjoyable for you. Hello. Hi. Put in here, son. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Willie. How's it going? All right. Give your mother a kiss and I'll kick your teeth in. Hi. <laughs> hey. Did you happen to see the most beautiful... Hey! Shut it! <laughs> if you did... How you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. Come on, Charlie. All right, away and go with your mother, all right? And while you're there, why don't you try one of her bras on you, wee girl? <laughs> Float away, you fairy! Oh, dear! Oh, girl! Well, let's have a look at the replay. William, move your head. Look at the size of that boy's head. Shh. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Shh, you got to give the boy a complex. Well, that's a huge noggin. That's a virtual planetoid. Has its own weather system. Heed! Move! Stuart! Bring in the paper! All right, hen! Heed! Paper! No! Move that melon of yours and get the paper if you can. Pulling that gargantuan cranium about. I'm not kidding. That boy's head like Sputnik. Spherical, but quite pointy in parts. Well, that was offside, wasn't it? <laughs> He'll be crying himself to sleep tonight on his huge pillow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there. my dad never called me Sputnik. I mean, if, if you haven't seen So I Married an Axe Murder, you need to see the movie. But uh, my dad never called me Sputnik. My dad was a, a great guy. I know he loves me, totally. I, I do. We've had some great, great times. And uh, he coached me in Little League, so there's a lot of great memories I have. But, uh, but that makes me laugh when I see that, to realize, you know, sometimes it's okay to laugh at how dads are, and uh, certainly we don't want to focus solely on the negative, but I want to give you some proactive strategies in here. I want to give you eight of them, and the first three are for dads with their kids. The last five are for sons with their dads. The last five would apply to every one of us in here. The first three, I would take notes. If you're not a dad right now, I would take notes to say, okay, God, Prepare me for the day that I might be a dad so that I would, in a sense, a very real sense, uh, be able to be the dad that you desire me to be. The very first one is if you're a dad, make sure your son has the essentials. And on the essentials, underneath there, there are, there's a box and it says, be sure he hears and be sure he has. And if you remember, Greg, last week hit on some of these, but the things that, that it, your kid is going to need to hear... The very first one here is he needs to hear I love you. He needs to be affirmed in that, to have confidence in that, to know that, hey, my dad isn't conditionally in my corner. My dad is in my corner, and he loves me. He wants the best for me. And the reason I say that is we're, we're going to be the hammer in the house, men. You, you are. You're, you're going to be the hammer. You're going to bring the discipline in the house. When I discipline the kids, it has a totally different effect than if my wife does. And I'm not saying that she can't, because she's there when I'm at work. But when I come home, 
and there's an issue that needs to be dealt with, there's a different response to dad than to mom. It's not going to be a good situation if the kids don't know I love them and yet I continually seek to discipline them. So they need to know the foundation for all I'm going to do as a dad is that my kids would know I love them. I tell them, but I also show them. I hug them. Give them a high five. Give them a good night kiss. You know, it's okay. You're not going to ruin your son or your daughter to be affectionate and positive in affirming them. And some of us, we didn't grow up in that. It's really, really weird. My wife's dad is not very uh, affirming, affectionate at all. But my wife carries a lot of stuff because of that. So, so dads with daughters and dads with sons, let's step and do that. The second deal is I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. They, we need to celebrate our sons' lives. We need to affirm them in that and to admire them. And there's nothing any better than hearing your dad tell you, I'm proud of you when you've accomplished something. You've worked hard. And for some of us, we've never heard those words. And for me, that was significant for me last year when I went through this, is to realize I knew he loved me. I didn't know if he was proud of me or not. It's a different deal, totally. And, and to walk away this year to know that he is proud of me and what I do. The third thing is that you're good. And I'm not saying good as in morally good. I'm saying you're good at something. Like you're really great at math or you're a great artist. Or, you know, when you run, you're, you're fast, man. You're, you're faster than all the other kids in this neighborhood. You, you're really gifted at that. You should do something with that. Or you're, you're a great writer. Or you make, so, you make so many wise decisions. I mean, just to help, because we are to unlock who they are in Christ. We're to help give them vision. We're to speak into their life. We're not this absent, okay, I discipline my kid, I tell them I love them, and leave them, the rest of it is just self-discovery. We have a responsibility that if we see something good, we want to see it grow. We want to cultivate character in our sons. We want to cultivate vision in our sons. And I'm telling you, I didn't get that in my home, but that didn't mean my dad was a bad dad. My dad had no clue that he should be stepping up in those areas. Some things that he, he needs to have, there are three things here, and the second half of the Quest for Authentic Manhood will hit these in great detail, but I just want to list them out for you. And the, the first one here is a manhood vision and a ceremony that seals it. A manhood vision and a ceremony that seals it. And by ceremony, I mean sort of like a rite of passage. A manhood vision and a manhood ceremony that seals it. Number two, a code of conduct. And I put that you live by. If, if we don't live by it, I assure you, it will invalidate every word that you speak to your kids. The, the age of dad's spiritual responsibility is to load the family up into the station wagon drive to the church, open up the door, shush the kids out to church, wave bye-bye, hop back in the car and go play golf. And that, that, uh, there's a generation that that was it. If I get my kids in church, church is where they need to be. And I'm like, no, they need to see Christ in you. If you remember that song that, that, that Pastor Greg had last week, if you were here, 
I mean, that's exactly what it was about. And so, you know, that I want to be the man that God wants me to be because my son wants to be a man like me. That, that whole dynamic that's there. And then the third is a transcendent cause, something to live for other than himself. If our sons don't understand that the world doesn't revolve around them, they will never be great men. Great men never live for themselves. They always are employed by a king to build a kingdom. And for us, in the business world, it's easy for us to get that. Wow, I'm, I'm a part of this company and we are turning record profits. And it's great to be a part of that. Well, I'm like, hey, we're in building a kingdom of God as well. And how employed are you in the kingdom of God? And I would say that most men are spiritually unemployed. That's just the dynamic in the American church. My prayer is that through things like this, we'll begin to get a vision, but we need to be passing that down to our sons, a, a, a vision that gives us the conduct and the transcendent cause. And there is a book that really hits that. It's called Raising a Modern Day Night by Robert Lewis. If, uh, if you are a dad or you think, hey, one day I'll have a son and I'd love it, this is a book I'd purchase. It's called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And within that there are ideas for ceremonies, manhood ceremonies, all that type of thing. And it sounds crazy, but we've got a, a camp opportunity coming up uh, at Camp Choye. The information's on the green or white sheet that's on your table there. If you have a teenager and you've never, ever, ever gotten to speak into their life, this would be an opportunity where you do all sorts of testosterone-driven activities, but you also have a rite of passage that you get to take your son through, or your daughter. But, but the part for the son would be the part that would ap apply with where we are right now. And so the, the details on that, it's uh, November 30th through December 2nd. Just remind you all, sign up at their website, and we've got a link on our website as well if you're interested. I know a lot of you are, are younger right now and you probably don't have teenage kids. But uh, number two, or B, if you're a dad, it's never too late to close the gap with your sons no matter how old. A lot of times older dads feel remorseful. They're like, well, I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. I wish I would have known that 15 years ago. When my son was going through this, I was a real jerk to my son. I never really even told him I loved him. I only found out what he did wrong. I never affirmed him. And he's really rebelled, and I, you know, I've blown it. So thanks for sharing this, Eric. Thanks for sharing this, Pastor Greg or Jason. But it's, it's a wee bit late. And I'm like, it is never too late. My dad and I had a very positive relationship until I got in college. And in college, it wasn't that it turned negative, but I, I left pre-med and I became health and physical education. Now, dads are proud of doctors. They're not proud of PE teachers always because there's an economic situation here. My dad didn't have a dad. My dad was raised during the Depression by an aunt. My dad started working when he was about eight years old. My dad knows the value of a dollar. And my dad knows that if I don't make money, I'm not going to be able to provide for family. And all. I mean, he, he had the right motive, but he saw me shift gears when I realized, hey, I don't like dissecting cats. And honestly, I was the kid that put bottle rockets around the tails of cats and lit it. You know, and yet I'm, I don't like dissecting cats. So I, there's no, I love people, so there's no way I could operate on a person, even though I know I'm saving their life, I can't make that leap in my head. And for the men and the ladies that do that, I'm like, that's great, because I know we got doctors in here, but I can't do that. And so here I am, I, I disappoint my dad there. And then I, I get out, and once I get out, I, 
I'm like, I'm working, I decide, oh, I'm going to work in special ed for a while, so I'm working in special ed. You're not going to make a lot of money working in special education. Well, then I leave to go into the ministry. And now he was like, well, wait, whoa, you know, you're going into the ministry, so I'm in grad school. I graduate, and I go and I volunteer for a year to be a big brother with troubled teens. Well, that was it, man. He was done. I'm at home, I'm getting ready to leave, and he just, just rips into me. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and, and he is telling me how wrong it is, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, Dad, you know, I, I love you, and I've always sought to honor you. My, my older brother rebelled against him tremendously, and I, I believe it's because my dad was a workaholic. And I was like, I, I tried to go the other way of, of being, hey, I'm going to be the good son here. I'm going to do the thing that the good son does. I'm going to please my parents. And, and it got to the point for me that I was like, Dad, I love you. I respect you. I want to honor you. And I told him, but at the end of time, I'm not going to stand before you and give an answer for what I'm doing right now as an adult. I said, I'm going to have to answer to God. And he's telling me to do this. He's showing me this is what I need to do. And I know you don't think it's going to work out, but it's going to work out in him. And so I go and I volunteer. Well, I meet my wife there, which is, I think, a pretty good blessing. While I'm there, I, I make a, a lifelong friend, Don Munton, who happens to be on staff here. We develop a great friendship. I get mentored by some really godly men. And I think through that, God has opened doors for me to do what I'm doing today. And last year, I got to hear him tell me he was proud of me for the first time. It meant a lot to me. And so if you've never heard that from your dad, I just want to say, if you're the dad that never gave that, you never gave, hey, son, I'm so proud of you. You know, you're, you're a great doctor, or you're a lawyer, and, and you've been so diligent in preparing yourself for your cases. And what, if you've never heard that from your dad, and as a dad you've never spoken that, it's not too late fathers to speak that to your sons. And I promise you, like a sponge, they will hear it and receive it and restore relationship. My dad and I have a better relationship now than we ever have. And part of it is out of this. He didn't, I had to ask him for it, but he spoke it. And I'm so glad he did. The third deal here, well, there, there's, uh, that's my dad on the left. You would never know, this is my grandmother's funeral a year and a half ago. Uh, that's my brother to the left of me. I'm on my tiptoes, by the way. Um, yeah, he's actually an inch and a half taller. And that's his, uh, his girlfriend slash fiance slash something. But uh, anyhow. Moving on. Uh, if you're a single dad, this is a, for, a, for fathers here. If you're a single dad, a dad separated from your son by divorce, or a dad who has inherited a son through remarriage, which is increasingly common, then you need to seek help and a sound strategy. Seek help and a sound strategy. You're in uncharted waters. And there are lots of myths out there that, okay, if, if, if I'm divorced, you know, They'll forget about it in a couple of years and it won't really affect the relationship I have with my children. They'll, they'll get over it and they'll be okay. I'm like, uh, time won't just heal that, you know. They're probably not going to just be okay. You have an opportunity, if that's a situation, to, to, make it, to make it a great situation, as great as it can be, but, but it won't just happen on its own. If you think, well, I'll just take every weekend that I do have with my kids and, and we'll make that, you know, we'll do something really special every time and we'll have fun. I'm like, you're going to have to get some serious help to go above and beyond because you're going to have, you're at a deficit. You're in a deficit situation with your children and you're going to have to go above and beyond to really work that out. 
And, and I, I would say read books. Get some, some of the best counseling. Maybe the best use of your money is to get with a counselor to say, hey, this is a situation. I just married a lady. She's got a, she's got a son already. I really want to be a healthy. I want to be all God wants to be in this kid's life. Uh, I know that there's a tension between us right now. Give me some wisdom on how to do that. What are some steps that I need to walk through? And maybe the best use of some of your money is to cut out golf for a year, take all that money, and you invest that in, in discovering how to be a dad to your stepchild or how to heal up that relationship with your children if you've gone through divorce. And so share that. Um, D, here, if you're a son, now these are all for us as sons, so this applies for all of us in here. It's easy for us to act irresponsible when we feel like, hey, we've been done wrong. We can lash out in anger. We can prove our dad's wrong through success, through hard work. We can prove our dad wrong and make him miserable through failure, through addictions. And we can play the game any way we want to. Whatever your dad really wanted from you, you can give him the opposite of that. And I believe in a lot of homes that happens that we're either fueled on to success or we're fueled to rebel and drop out of school and not really do reach our potential. And maybe our dad was like, you know, you've got a lot of potential, but that phrase itself brought to you a sense of, i.e., I never measure up. I'm never good enough. I never, I'm never smart enough. I'm never the best on the team. I'm never, and it just permeated your childhood and your adolescence. And now you're like, to your dad, you're just like, you know, I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm angry. I can't live up. And so you have then gone on a course fueled by that inside. Well, I don't know where you are on the map of all of that, but let me give you some responsible choices you have to make as a man. And number one is by choosing to forgive your dad. If your dad was a perfectionist, you need to choose to forgive your dad. If your dad was a deadbeat dad, you need to choose to forgive your dad. You have that choice. You have that power. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to anger and wrath. And you will try to numb it through addiction or workaholism or anything else. And maybe you're like, well, you know, hey, I, I struggle with pornography. Well, I'm like, well, that's the struggle I had. And I never understood it fully until I began to explore these relationships in my home to wonder, because it wasn't about sex for me. Even when I was married, I struggled with it. It wasn't because my wife wasn't attractive to me. She's beautiful. I love her. It wasn't about that at all. It was about something else. It was about me numbing a frustration and a pain that I wasn't a son that made my dad proud, that I wasn't a son that achieved enough. What, you know, th those voices that I had carried... And so I'm saying there is a lot of play in here, but it starts with forgiving our fathers. And here's a verse that helped me. It's Hebrews 12, 9 through 10. And look at the underlined part. It says, We had earthly fathers to discipline us. And this is a comparison. God compares Himself to our earthly father and shows how He's superior. But it says, For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He, that's God, disciplines us for our good. As I said before, 95% of the dads in here 
our heart was to be for our sons. Our heart was to be good dads. And I think my dad relationally wasn't real gifted. He uh, didn't have it modeled for him. He had a lot of things going against him as a dad. And he did an admirable job. And I've told him that. I'm like, Dad, how did you get to be the dad that you are? And that didn't mean he was perfect, but there are things he did really well. How did he get to, And he said, I, I've tried to be to you what God is to me. I asked him that when I was 21. And you know what? That's a, that's a great answer. <laughs> I've tried to be to you what God was to me. And that's who we want to be to our kids. We want to be what Christ has been to us. We want to model that out. We want to live that out. What if we have, what if we have that 5% dad who really was evil, um, abusive, neglectful, angry, addicted, he did hurt you. And, and in a room, this many men, I know that will apply to some of you. You know, what do we do there? What's the responsible thing to do there? And I'm like, well, A is begin to pray that God would help you move toward forgiveness because he's going to have to give that to you and you're going to have to, as a man, bestow that. But something that needs to happen to be freed up from the past, there you go, is by choosing to believe in God's justice. In Romans, we're told that, hey, I will repay, thus says the Lord, that God will repay. Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So, so in that, God is saying, don't operate out of a vengeful, got to get back attitude. That's not the spirit of Christ. Christ didn't come to get people back. He came to set people free. If we're to walk in His way, according to His precepts, we are going to walk as men that set other people free, not as men that get revenge. Does that make sense? So for those of you with a dad that was that dad, if you can't forgive him yet and you're not there, pray that you would be, but secondarily, release him to God. Say, God, we're not talking right now and I'm okay with that, but, but you bring justice and I trust you and I'm going to be set free right now. I'm going to wash my hands until you set it out. Uh, number five, E, if you're a son wounded by dad, courageously seek reconciliation with your dad. Courageously seek reconciliation with your dad. I just want to tell you all, you all look up here for one minute. I know you're filling the blanks. If you're not reconciled with your dad right now, unless he's sitting in something like this, unless he's in this room or in one of the studies going on, he is not going to come to you and say, I'm really, really sorry and I want to make amends with you. We're men now. You will have to go to Him. And it might be the most scary thing in the world. And it might not work out. And it might begin with a letter. But I'm here to tell you that in the process of going from sitting down and saying, well, he's a horrible dad and I never want to see him, or whatever, in the process of that to saying, I am going to walk courageously. I'm going to call my dad. I haven't talked to him in four years. I haven't talked to him in ten years. I'm going to, I'm going to call my dad. And I'm going to initiate this relationship again. Even if it doesn't work out, you will have become more of a man and a biblical man at that than in any other thing you've done. More than making more money, pay raise, or grad school. Stepping up faith, 
meets the road in those types of moments and relationships. And so courageously go and seek reconciliation with your dad. Remember that it could come from your dad's relational shortcomings, and that was the case with my father. He didn't have it modeled out for him. If you were in college, I'm sure you had the experience. I had this experience. I called home, and I was like a little homesick, and I call home, and my dad answers the phone. And he goes, hello? I was like, Dad, uh, let me get your mom. You know, and he's like, he gets the phone, he gives it to my mom, and I'm like, Dad, <laughs> I don't want to talk to him. I want to talk to you. And then I, my dad finally gets on the phone and he doesn't hear that well. So if my mom is whispering something to him, she has to say it loud enough that I can actually hear it. And I noticed early on that every question he asked me was parroted from my mom. Then my mom would say, ask him how classes are going. Eric, how are your classes? You know, ask him, ask him if he's met anybody yet. You know, have you met anybody here? You know, it's like, I'm like, Golly, he's the relational shortcoming that's there. And I, I, I'm like, that was my dad, you know? And it's still that way, but it's better now because of the conversation we had last year that now if I call on a Saturday morning, I know when my mom goes grocery shopping, and I know that if I call at 9 o'clock here, 10 o'clock their time, they're in Tennessee, then most likely my mom will be on this two- or three-hour shopping spree in the grocery store. She loves to cook. And my dad will be home, and my dad will answer the phone, and we will get to talk. And he doesn't look where my mom is anymore. He's there, and sometimes there's moments of silence that are decently awkward, I would confess. But it's okay, because we're together. And it's what I've always wanted. And I think it's what he's always wanted. And so I'm sharing that with you all to say it might be a relational deal, or it could be from a past conflict. It might be from a past conflict. And some of you, you may have been the one that went off on your dad because maybe you were in rebellion and he tried to discipline you. And maybe you didn't know he loved you, but out of that, you lashed out at your dad. Well, hey, it's time for you to make that right. <laughs> it's not always the dad that does everything wrong. Often the sons, we speak things. I know my brother spoke stuff to my dad that I'm like, I can't believe a son would say that to his dad. But my, my, my brother did. And I know that my dad didn't respond because my dad didn't want to hurt him. And I mean physically hurt him. And I know that now. I didn't know that way back then. I was like, God, why, why are you just letting him say that? Why are you not just hauling off and hitting him, you know? And it was because my dad had so much anger and he was like, the one thing he didn't want to do was to, you know, to abuse his own kids. His dad wasn't around. He had a, his aunt had a, a step, whatever, step uncle, I guess is what it would be, that was abusive to him. And so he left and joined the army, but he didn't leave until he had decked the guy. And then he grabbed his stuff, hopped up, joined the army, and ended up in Korea. You know, that, that was sort of his path, and he didn't want that for us. So I think that was part of his dynamic with my brother. Um, next thing, if you're a son wounded by dad, risk asking for your father's love. I was blessed in this, no doubt about it. But step up and ask for the love. Have that conversation. It would be ideal. It's going to be frightening to do it. And we've got to speed up here real quickly. If you're a son wounded by dad, risk asking for your father's blessing. That's what I did. I was like, Dad, I know you love me. You've always told me you love me. 
And for my dad, he was like, that was the big deal for him. He always told us he loved us. He never told us he was proud of us. He always said, you know, whatever you do, do it as, as hard as you can, best you can, and we'll be proud of you. And I'm like, last year, I, I finally called him up and said, Dad, I know you love me. I know, you know, you, you think I've done some great things, yada, 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 but, but I need to know, are you, when you see my life, and you see me as a husband, and you see me as a dad, are you proud of me? Do you look and you say, I'm so glad that's my son. I, I don't want the lawyer down there. I want the guy that's hadn't made as much money, but he's tried to make an impact in people's lives. I needed to hear that from him. And, of course, here's my dad's reaction. Oh, Eric, Eric, uh, you know I love you. I'm like, Dad, I didn't say, do you love me? I, I asked you, are you proud of me? He's like, oh, if I wasn't proud of you, I'd tell you. And I'm like, Dad, I, I didn't ask. If, you know, it's like, I need to, he says, well, if you need to hear it, I'll tell you. And, and he told me, he said, you're more of a dad right now than I've ever been. He said, I look at you and you're a better husband than I ever wanted to be. He said, you're patient with your kids. You're patient with your wife. You pray for your wife. You pray for your kids. And he started going on for about 15 minutes. I didn't think he noticed anything I'd been doing. And he started speaking these words over me. And I, I started like, you know, sitting up straight. And I, I found there's air in my lungs, you know. And, and all of a sudden I found that I felt like for the first time alive and I'm a man because my dad spoke those words into my life. And I think every one of us, even if you're 65 years old, if you've never heard it, it's not too late to close the gap. Go, put your chin strap on, and ask them. Be honest and be forthright. But let's do that. As men, do that. More proactive is right here. If you're a son wounded by dad, reclaim the relationship you missed by becoming a good dad to your children. And I said that this applies to all of us, being a good dad doesn't start at the hospital when the umbilical cord is cut. And I've learned this decently the hard way. I didn't spend a lot of time before our first child arrived thinking about what type of dad I wanted to be. I really didn't. Because if I would have, there were certain things in my life that I would have been practicing already that I hadn't been practicing. But that when... Emma arrived in 2000, I was like, okay, now what do I do? It's like, it was like I, we, I just remember putting her in the car seat and putting the car seat in the back of the car and we drive away, we drive away from Methodist Hospital and I look at my wife and she looks at me and I was like, now what? You know, and it was that, that moment of, I really haven't been thinking a lot about this. I haven't been really preparing for all of this. And so the last seven years for me, I've read a lot of books. I've talked to a lot of dads. This study has been huge in my life. Last year going through it, this year going through it again. But I just want to tell you, man, prepare to be a good dad. You don't have a kid right now. What can you do? Call up Doug Bischoff. He's our youth minister here. Call up Cindy Pitts. She's our children's minister here. 
call up. It used to be Mary and James. Right now it would be Carly Mangrum. She's, she's in the interim for our preschool ministry here. Spend some time in the nursery. Spend some time at Vacation Bible School. It's not glamorous. It's not rah-rah. It's not... Spend some time with kids. Uh, Tay, Tay Park's here. Wednesday night, there's a thing called Team Kid. It's a high-energy opportunity, and there's first grade to sixth grade. Is that right? Through fifth. And what time do you guys begin? And, and what do you need volunteer-wise? Do you need men to come in and, and help out? or? Yeah. Find a place to serve kids, youth, children. I'm just sharing that with you. And if you're an uncle right now, then, hey, get involved in your nieces or nephews' lives. Get involved in their life. And then, uh, then, then lastly here, I just want to say for a lot of us, we had great dads. And for some of us, our dads weren't that great. We need to, in each other's lives, encourage speak truth, but we also in each other's lives, we need, if you see something in someone's life here in this room that you're proud of, that you're like, man, you do this really well, whatever that is, speak that to each other as well, but encourage each other, support each other in trying to find reconciliation with our fathers to get their blessing, to have the fact that they love us, okay? The father wound, it might not be as big in your life as someone else's, but if it's there at all, let's address it proactively, I want to pray as we are at the table there that God would bless and honor the time of the conversation. Be as transparent as you're able to be. And remember confidentiality at your table as you're there. Just remember that, you know, that, that what's at the table stays at that table. Um, let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you right now in this day that, that you're a great God. And Lord, that you're a perfect dad. I mean, as I sit here and think about the things that I, I've needed to hear in my life, you have spoken those over me through your word, through your son. God, you spoke love so loudly, you did it in action. May we never deny your love for us. And God, you have pride in us, Lord, that you've bestowed gifts to us. And Father God, that...